they had a low budget action picture. That's that's what it was billed as. So it was like, oh, okay, you know, it wasn't anything I was super excited about. And we had that sit down talk where the filmmaker tells you sometimes before he shows you his film what he feels the film is about and what elements are in it. And I'd been through a lot of those talks, you know, the philosophy and the depth of it and the dream of the filmmaker. And then in many cases they show you the picture and you're sitting there going, where is that movie? Where's the movie they were talking about? You know, it's like, is it there? I don't see it. Oh, there's a little, I understand what he was talking about. There's a little, you know, they're talking about some big concept and there's this one little thing that relates to it, you know. So I sat down, and I, I must say, I wasn't cynical, but I, I always was sort of, when, you know, Jim had a lot of big feelings about the film and passion for it, so when he spoke about it, it was very impressive, and I'm sort of, part of my brain's going, well, let's see, you know, and I'm watching the film, and, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm going, it's here. Wow, it's really here. What he's talking about is on the screen, you know, the depth of it, and the, the mood, and the energy of it, and the intensity of it, and so I'm sitting going, got to do this, got to do this. So we're watching the film and I'm, it's mattering more and more to me and I'm really, you know, sort of feeling vulnerable like, okay, now, you know, instead of being like, well, let's see, I'm going, oh, please, please, I hope you're going to hire me for this movie. And there was a point, I guess, where he blows up and I go, if he gets up one more time, I'm leaving. I said it, I thought I was thinking it and I said it out loud in the room and then I'm sitting there thinking, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe I said that. I just lost the job. I just got very quiet and watched the rest of the film and figured, okay, well, that's it. Brad really got the idea that this needed to have a percussive driving beat to go with the action of the film. It was the idea of this mechanical man, in a sense, and his heartbeat. He was great because he had no time, he had no money, and we were adding shots all the time in post-production as we'd get them in. Um, and it didn't phase him a bit. He did the whole score in his garage. It was a cool garage. I mean, he had a lot of good gear. I had all these individual keyboards, and they had to be played individually. It was all live. Every note is live performed, with the exception of this. I had an Oberheim situation where I could put a little drum machine and a little... Those things were chained together, but it was their technology. It didn't interface with anything else. So if my Prophet 10 was going boom, 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 and the other thing was going I had to literally sit there live and change the tempo and try to get them to match. Part of the nature of the score is me trying to get control of the machines. <laughs> While the machines are trying to get control of the people in the movie, I'm sitting here desperately trying to get control of these machines. When they finally get together in the police station, and he's now someone who had been like stalking her, he, they're now, you know, he's, he's taking her and their partners in a sense. I thought, great, and they're escaping. Da da dum, 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 dum. You know, they're running out of the police station. And Jim heard that and he said, no way. He said, I don't, he said, that's going to open up a part of the brain of the audience that's sort of emotional and maybe a little intellectual, like, ah, the theme, they're together, you know, it taps a little part of their, he said, I don't want to, I don't want to distract their synapses, I just want them like this, you know, I just want them to go, they're going to go, you know, he just, so we, the, the music is the same, we just took the theme out, but underneath there was the running of it, you know, and the theme, I just thought, gave it this heroic moment, and he just said, no, no, and I think that, in that awareness, he knew exactly why he didn't want the theme there. I hadn't worked with a director that had that level, that was dealing quite on that level.
coming back once again gonna do another music composing special for someone who has influenced cinema and the actual sound we hear playing during the film welcome back jonathan mark always glad to be here all righty so talking about a man who's just made a living making great use of the synthesizer <laughs> Mm -hmm. and so many of them let's let's be honest no brad fidel has done some very just giant cult movies that so many people have heard of but not necessarily everyone have heard or necessarily seen and it's very intriguing and it's where you know Various movies include, you know, drive-in movies as well as slashers and what have you. And that includes Eyes of Fire, Calendar Girl Mur Murders, Eternity Vacation, both Fright Night movies, uh, Popeye Doyle, which was a French Connection TV pilot, Nowhere to Hide, The Accused, True Believer, Blue Still, and The Real McCoy, Striking Distance, and was a last-minute replacement for Johnny Mnemonic. But that's okay. We mainly, aside from those and Just Before Dawn, he's mainly known for the first two Terminator movies and True Lies for James Cameron. Mm -hmm. In such a way that he... Some of his music became the logo for James's Lightstorm Entertainment logo that plays. So, uh, when did you become familiar with him or pay him any attention? Well, obvious thing to say it was with the Terminator films, of course, and then eventually later on, films like Separate the Rainbow and Blue Steel. Ah, uh, that's so true. Yeah, just before dawn, I kind of recognize, you know, it's a lesser seen movie. Um, Let's Get Harry. That's definitely my favorite of his outside of the Terminators, just because it kind of gets you in the mood. Dun, 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 dun. It just gets, lets you know it's going to be a fun rescue movie. And it is also kind of wild how uh, just. You, you just are very unsure about what's going to happen and it, he adds all this suspense and terror in addition to all this excitement and it's just a one of a kind there's been plenty of other small movies of his obviously some people might know him better for Fright Night but there's other ones in here too like Straight Talk, Gladiator from 92 which is a boxing movie, Compromising Positions and Rasputin, uh, Alan Rickman HBO historical movie and Mistrial, another HBO movie which is a hostage thriller. And then he just kind of disappeared after a while. I even one time tried to ask him if he uh you know, wanted to work on any indie film projects but it seems like he does a lot of independent stuff now or personal stuff so but yeah the 
the Terminator scores definitely hold up. I'm, I'm with you because uh, there's just something about it. Uh, just, just very freaky. Don't ever play it at night. <laughs> well, particularly the first one, which dun, 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 I think like adds to the atmosphere of the first one since that feels more like a slasher film than anything else. Mm-hmm. And the music adds to it. Oh, yeah, but even T2 has some of those yeah that's true a little extended than what you hear in the movie even so yeah so where do you think he ranks with film composers hmm for him he's not exactly I'd say in the top 10 more of a Twenty, right there. Not just because of Terminator, like I said, but also because of Serpent, Rainbow, Blue Steel, and I even say ones like the Cues of True Believer, which are very simple scores, but very effective ones. Just enough tension. Mm -hmm. It's a tough predicament because I feel like he should be rated higher, and yet. Like you say, he he's done some very underseen movies, and that kind of works against him in a way because we haven't necessarily seen everything he's done. So, but I'm with you. Like, I would put him in a top twenty, top thirty list. I definitely heard him more than I realize, but at the same time, like, it would help if he got a bit more screen time. Well, with help of some directors. I've chosen him than other ones. Yeah. Uh, I can't really find anything particular about him other than he just kind of just faded in and then kind of exited stage right after a while. And, uh, you know, you look at him now, he's just a very gray haired individual who could pass for anyone you would never know uh, now you wouldn't but yeah it, many people also note how the fright night film scores make an inventive use of the electric violin <laughs> oh, how about that <laughs> um i think you did a good job with johnny mnemonic considering you know, that score is only in the theatrical cut, not the uncut director's cut. And the uncut score is a way better instrumental score consisting of Japanese music. And, you know, it was just one of those, he was just brought in at the last minute just because they were unimpressed with the original score. And it was like, mm, need some work. He wasn't here the whole time. So he basically just did a repeat of what he was known for. Um, but didn't quite look as well. Yeah. It happens. And this others note that the story and the ambience is just well reflected. I'm just very surprised of how my, many dramas he's done. <laughs> yeah, that's the strange part. Seems like he did more dramas than I'd say mainstream films overall. Very unexpected. 
Maybe that was his choice. I don't know. And I can't really find anything else more about him other than that he just did a lot of Canadian B pitchers as well. Yeah. Pretty rare, though, for a lot of his releases to be very well-reviewed though consistently i don't see any that are just like ah you know what a terrible you know (laughs) score what have you i never never hear anybody say that about them yeah he did a there's a few slip-ups in terms of movies but that's about it i don't see anything else here that i would say is a dud or anything um I've had trouble getting into that mystery movie Blink, Madeline Stowe, and there's Blood Ties, which is a mediocre uh, vampire TV movie. But other than that, I think I think they're all pretty good. For the most part. Yeah. So let's get Harry as to that. See, I still haven't seen it yet. But I will eventually one day. Yeah, plenty to find here. Uh, there's a few others in here, called, such as Fraternity Vacation, Right Away, which is a TV film. Uh, other than that, pretty straightforward. He had enough contacts to get by. Yeah. And have you heard any of the remastered kind of soundtracks? Because it seems like he has extra uh scores on those movies no i haven't had those it's just so wild he's done obscure interviews here and there and i just wonder what he's doing now it's such a big deal i guess he's mostly retired from that like you said working on indie films it's a short film and even video games, but they're just reusing a lot of scores he's already done. So I guess he just made enough. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, with Terminator, I'm sure he made enough alone more than anything else. So wild, though. Lies, I could say. Yeah, True Lies definitely helped him, but I mean, there's even moments where his. Uh, Music's even being reused in like English dubbings of Hong Kong movies. So, <laughs> he did some. That's right. I about that. He did theme music for Midnight Caller, Reasonable Doubts, and the Time Cop TV show. But yeah, I guess hmm. it would be way more music if he had to make these for, uh, you know iTunes or whatever, or do compilations. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if someone does that. Uh, at this point. The wild. I'm trying to see if this is exactly true or not. But apparently, it says that that it's 
since he spent six months as a key boss of Hall and Oates in the 70s. So hmm. was. Yeah. That's wild. Very wild. And you'd think he'd mention that more than yet. <laughs> no. That's what I was thinking. Hmm. Oh, I've at least heard that by now. <laughs> I guess it was only six months, that's why. Oh no. Hell, Wikipedia doesn't even remotely sum up most of what he's done. There's even some other obscure movies I've seen on here. Uh The Midnight Hour, Brotherhood of Justice, Big Easy, Last Instant Man, and Right to Die. And Perfect Witness from 89. So again, he had the HBO TV movie of the week cards for a lot of the time too. So someone heard his scores. <laughs> Hell, even this movie where Anthony Hopkins plays Adolf Hitler called The Bunker. <laughs> this other TV movie called Playing for Time. So which is a very traumatic Auschwitz, you know. Holocaust movie. So, yeah, he's done some other ones in there that I guess you could say they're going to keep being rediscovered. We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous. I don't even know where to. Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say, breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and foodie debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. 
Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. BlindKnowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.